0: Welcome to Coffee Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Mark, chapter 16,
1: verses 1 through 8, with Pastor John King. Thank you, Pastor John. Who's on first? You guys. See, we're not going to start with a joke. Not even. Good morning. Not me. Not me. No way. Good morning, everybody. Goodness. Thank you guys for coming out. You know, it's uh, <laughs> the way the world is, and it is a serious situation. We've got a lot of people who are sick, a lot of people who are out. So uh, I'm not so jokingly saying, hey, thanks for coming out. Uh, you know, the world is telling us it's scary. It is It is scary out there. And so I'm not trying to make light of it. So I appreciate you guys coming out and making time for your Sunday morning. Uh, today's message, as I was saying earlier, really centers and hinges on, um, you know, it really everything boils down to the fact that Jesus was resurrected. Uh, If he wasn't, then we would not need to be here. We could sleep in, right? (laughs) We could go fishing, we could go hunting, whatever. Uh, But we would be living a life of misery and no hope, that's for sure. Today we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 16. We're going to cover verses 1 through 8. And just so you know, next Sunday we will conclude the Gospel of Mark. We have been in the Gospel of Mark for exactly a year. Uh, After that, a little bit of a preview of where we're going next. Uh, We're going to have a couple weeks. We're going to have a couple special messages. Pastor John's going to share a message that the Lord's put on his heart on October 3rd. We're going to have a special message again on October 10th. And perhaps I will start the book of Daniel on October, that would put it, October 17th. Yeah. Um, If not, I may need a little bit more time to prepare, and so we'll do something. But we are headed, just so you know, we're going to head into the Old Testament for a while. We're going to go into the wonderful, prophetic, awesome book of Daniel. And that will be starting uh, right there in the middle of October. So like I said, today we'll be in uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Look, last week we watched as two men of wealth Power and influence. Wealth, power, and influence. They had everything, right? But they were led to reveal their secret, their secret faith in Christ. It's the fact that you know, these men on that sat on the council, the Sanhedrin, Joseph and uh, Nicodemus, sat on the council. One of them, Joseph, requested Jesus' body and the other assisted in taking the Lord's battered, pierced, and torn body down from the cross. Hastily they anointed him and wrapped his body with linen in order to place him in Joseph's family tomb. In the eyes of evil men, this tragic story had come to an end. Jesus had died the dishonorable death of a criminal. But in the eyes of God, he would see to it that he received an honorable burial. And what's more, resurrection, just as he proved Today we will see once again the truth found in the old saying, it ain't over till it's over. Yankees fans, you know who said that. Or death is final, but it's not the end. Death is final, but it's not the end. The resurrection of Jesus is the peak of our joy as believers in Christ. Every Easter we commemorate the first resurrection Sunday. And I would say every day that we get up, we should commemorate that resurrection Sunday. Every day that you are able to place your feet on the floor next to your bed. Having paid the price for our sins on the cross and dying in our place, we see in his resurrection that he has defeated the great enemy of all mankind, and that's death itself. Having placed your trust in him for salvation, he also passes on the great joy of being confident of your own resurrection. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Our passage today, Mark 16, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that, he, that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. Verse 8, So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Heavenly Father, once again, we've been given this opportunity, this time to to be together, Lord, to, to have sung your praises together, to have experienced your presence, Lord, and the hope that we have in you with our brothers and sisters. And so now, Lord, I pray that we will seek even deeper to know through your word, your great love for us, that we will see it, that the truth will manifest itself in the way we live our lives and the way we conduct ourselves among others, Lord God. May it be real. Even though sometimes life is dark and dreary, Lord, if we will be patient with you, your word promises, you will lift our heads and we will see that there is redemption and that there is hope. So go before us now as we study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So here they are, the next day, they're ready, getting ready. They didn't, know, they didn't know how they were going to get in the tomb, but they're going to enter the tomb. Why were they going to do that? They, these ladies, uh, you remember they had sat the night before, and they had noted, not the night before, the, uh, a day and a night before, on Friday evening, They had sat and they had paid very close attention to where Jesus' body was buried. And the reason why was because they knew they would have to come back and properly finish the process of anointing Jesus' body with oils and spices. And so we see in verse 1, now when the Sabbath was passed, the Sabbath had ended at 6 p.m. the night before, but obviously it was too dark for them to go into the tomb at that time. So they had to wait for the next morning, and here they were, heavy with grief and sadness. The Lord had died, the Lord Jesus had died, and the last two nights would have been very dark for their souls, all the believers, and perhaps if they knew the scriptures well, uh, you know these women if they, if they happened to know them because back then women didn 't weren 't allowed to read, we know that the men had to teach them, but if they were May be reminded from the writer of Lamentations, verse uh, chapter three, verse twenty-two. It says, "Though the Lord's, or excuse me, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed." This is a promise from God, because His impact, His compassions fail not; they are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. Great is Your faithfulness. Well, maybe they didn't have those scriptures had come to mind. Maybe they had sat in the synagogues and heard those teachings. But at this point, they were wondering. They were sitting there thinking, what, what is going on here? And so what they do, the, the, the three ladies, Mary, Magdalene, Mother of James, Salome, uh, and there were also other women as well. There were these three ladies and several other women. If you look over at, say, Luke, for instance. And so there was a group of ladies who had come, had met there, And they brought spices. Not only did they bring spices, but they went and bought them to bring. Very expensive. The word spices is where the the, uh, Greek word aroma comes from. It means sweet spices. And Joseph and Nicodemus, remember they had also brought spices the night before. They had brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes. In fact, they brought a hundred pounds worth. That's a lot. That's a heavy load to be dragging down the street. In John 19.39, we we remember from last week, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds, that they might come and anoint him. So now we are to the next day. Sorry, we're on the next day. They had come to anoint Jesus, because they knew of the hasty work that Joseph and Nicodemus did had to go through. And the reason why they were in such a hurry to put Jesus in the tomb, as we recall, was because the Sabbath was about to begin at 6 p.m. And no work could be done. If Jesus' body wasn't dealt with, if it wasn't laid in the tomb correctly, then it wouldn't have been able to. They would have had to to literally throw his body in a trash heap with all the other bodies that they had been crucifying. But that wasn't to be. The Lord would have an honorable death. So they came to anoint him. And this, this word anoint means to rub with oil or ointment. It was common practice to anoint the dead body in order to kill the stench of a dead body. Unlike the Egyptians, the Jews did not embalm their dead. Now you recall earlier in the week, as we were following through Mark, that this other Mary, her name was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And they were at their house, and Lazarus had been you know, raised from the dead, and they were having a celebration meal. And this Mary came, and she worshipped Jesus. In Mark 14, 8, he spoke, and he responded to the fact that she dumped a whole you know, uh, large quantity of this spikenard, this very expensive perfume and oil, on the Lord's head. And Jesus said this, he said, She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. So that was the common practice. And again, he spoke prophetically. And of course, they they just continued with their meal. They didn't understand it. So very early in the morning on the first day of the week, this would have been during the fourth watch, you know, the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And note it says on the first day of the week. Now, the Jews didn't name their days. They numbered them. We name and number them. And for us, that would have been Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week. So obviously they had to wait all day on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath, on Saturday, because no work could be done. And they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now, we've, we talked about this earlier in, in the, uh, the chapter of Mark, and we talked about how the Lord had a habit of getting up very early in the morning. You may recall, he, he would get up before even the sun would rise. He would get up on that fourth watch to spend time with God. He would get up and, and just be alone with God. And I, and I know when we went through that passage, it inspired me, and I think it inspired some of you as well, to just start to try and make it a practice. It's hard. It's easy to fall out of that practice, though, of getting up when it's dark, just to sit to be with God and maybe watch the sun rise. Our bodies get weary, our, our, our schedules wear us down. But it's a good thing to remember, you know, to rise early and just to, not to do anything but be in the presence of God, in the quiet stillness of the morning. It's a wonderful thing for us, it's a wonderful spiritual discipline. It's not a commandment from God, it's not something we're legalistic about, but it's something we, uh, I would always encourage myself and everyone to get up early and just to spend the time with the Lord. Not to get a head start on my day, just to spend time with Jesus at his feet. But they came, obviously, when the sun had risen. You know, you didn't have modern lighting when the sun had risen, because it would have been too dark, as we said, if they had started on Saturday evening when the the Sabbath had officially ended. When we read John's account uh, of the story, it shows that this other Mary, Mary Magdalene, actually got to the tomb first. In John 20, verse 1, it says, Now it was the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she's the first one on the scene, if you add the harmony of the Gospels. And when you follow John's account, she panicked. She saw that the tomb was open, the tomb was empty, and she ran to tell the disciples. And the first one she ran into were Peter and John. We're here back, back with these other ladies. Meanwhile, we're back to the ladies who are going to stay at the tomb. They're not going to run away. Uh, obviously, she came and she left, and her, here they are. Many would come to the tomb that day. And so in verse 3, uh, you see that they're asking the question. You know, They're excited. They're, they're, they're wanting to get there to finish the job. They've got all their, their aloes and, and oil to anoint Jesus' body and to properly wrap his body and, and to, put him to lay him to rest for good. And they're like, well, who's going to hmm, who's gonna remove that stone, that heavy stone from in the front? Because they would understand that that stone wasn't something that two ladies could move out of the way. That wasn't going to happen. And so they asked their question, who's gonna, uh, how are we going to roll this tomb away out of our way? Or who will do it for us? Now, before we move on, let's, let's again, let's consider the state of mind among these early followers of Jesus. For the past three years, Jesus had come and brought an amazing measure of hope and love, healing, supernatural power over the elements and over sickness. For the past three years, he taught the scriptures with such influence and authority that it amazed everyone who heard that. He overcame the demonic powers that had manifested themselves hundreds and hundreds of times during his Galilean ministry. And those who had become his disciples had surrendered everything, their livelihood, their family and friends, to take up their cross and follow Jesus. They had a lot at stake. And now it must have appeared so helpless for them, so gloomy. The disciples were scattered. They were unsure of the future. The men, they'd gone back to their fishing. I don't know if Matthew went back to tax collecting. Because to them, Jesus lay dead in the tomb, no longer able to guide them and protect them. But you can't help but ask yourself the question, had they forgotten his words concerning his death and resurrection? Mark 10, 33 and 34, he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. And remember, Jesus, every single time that he talked about this terrible thing that was going to befall him, he always mentioned that he would be resurrected. He always made sure to close with that. Had they forgotten his words at the Passover when he instituted communion? He says, hey, I'm not going to drink any more of the fruit of the vine until that day when I return, when I'm returned with you, when I'm with you again, present. Had they forgotten all this? And then we realize that we we can certainly relate to these ladies and to these early disciples. Why? Because we know from our own experiences with tragedy and chaos and confusion that our heart and mind can easily forget God's promises, easily slip away. Life loses its meaning. There's no joy in your heart. Yet we also know that ultimately, as we continue to walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings, not by anything else, that our testimony is a simple phrase. God showed up. Happens all the time in our lives. God shows up. When you think it's not going to work out, God shows up. When you're dying in the hospital, God shows up. When you're facing cancer, God shows up. Pastor John Corson brings up an interesting thought concerning the things that we go through, these deep waters, these hard times, dark nights of the soul. He said, we live in a world that lives in that realm. We live in a world that lives in that realm. What realm? The realm of no hope. That's the world we live in, that people occupy. And I'm convinced, he says, that that's why the Lord allows me and you to taste of it occasionally, if not regularly, that we can be reminded of what people are experiencing constantly who don't know Jesus Christ who never have the experience of coming together like this to sing praises to Him. Worshiping the Lord and expressing His holiness, His wonder, and His might. And feeling the fulfillment that comes from just being in His presence. So we know the Lord is faithful, but we also know that there will be times of doubt and fear. Now keep in mind that these ladies were unaware of what had happened the day before, on Saturday. Matthew explains to us, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66, On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how the deceiver, speaking of Jesus, had said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. The early conspiracy theories that had started, that they they were going to try and, you know, put an end to. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, steel, uh, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So here's this very heavy stone now has been rolled to close the door. And Mary Magdalene, you know, they weren't aware of everything, but they do know that the, the... They weren't aware of the conversation that took place, but they were aware of the fact that the tomb had been sealed. But they had no idea that there would have been a Roman guard placed, you know that it was, it was a secure place. You see, this situation was still proving to be a massive nightmare for the Jewish leaders and for Pilate. So as they approach and they're saying, who's going to remove the stone? Notice verse 4. And think about these words as we read them. But then they looked up and they saw. They looked up and they saw. What did they see? That the stone had been rolled away. Now this had to have been such a big, not only surprise, but a relief for them. But this is something they couldn't, you know, like, what is going on here? The stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Now we need to understand about cave tombs for just a minute. Cave tombs were closed by rolling a huge cartwheel-like stone in front of the entrance. They were almost impossible to remove. A deep, slanting groove was hewn out of the rock at the base of the entrance for the circular stone to rest in. So it had like a a track that it rolled in. The stone usually weighed several tons. (coughs) Such precautions were essential because there were so many tombs ransacked in those days of poverty, writes this one historian. (coughs) Excuse me. The tomb was further secured by being sealed, when it was necessary to seal a tomb, a huge stone was cemented to the entrance walls or else some type of rope or binding was wrapped around the entrance stone and fastened to both sides of the tomb. Then the binding was cemented with a hardening clay or wax-like substance. In the case of some burials, usually political figures, the seal of the emperor was also attached to the walls of the entrance. This was to strike fear of Roman retaliation against any intruder. Remember, the Romans, not only would they rule your life, but when they killed you, they would rule your death and all of your descendants and how you were buried. In the case of Jesus' tomb, further precautions were taken by placing a patrol to guard against any foul play. This guard consisted of a large number of men. So not only was the stone rolled away when they arrived, but there had also been a great earthquake. We know from the other gospels there had been a great earthquake and the Roman guard was gone. So they, they show up and again, God showed up. You know, This is the thing where we're starting to see where there's no hope, God shows up. And all the barriers were removed. In verse 5 it says, in entering the tomb. Now look, it's good Bible students that we all are. We know that Jesus doesn't need that tomb to be opened for him to pass through walls. He didn't need open doors to get where he wanted to go. John 20, 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for the fear of Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So he passed through the walls. So we know that this tomb wasn't opened for Jesus to get out. It was was open for the ladies to enter. So how many times in your life as a Christian do you find yourself that way? You're anxious, you're scared, you're uncertain about the future. But when you press in with prayer and scripture and even praise, you know, that can be very helpful. And then you looked up, you looked up and you lifted your eyes and you saw there right before you an open door. The heavy stone of doubt and fear has now been rolled away once again. And if you say never, I've never experienced that. I've never had God come and rescue me from my fears. I've never seen him open a door in my life. Then you know what? God's calling you to repentance. You don't really know the reality of joy that still comes in the morning that in fact His mercies are new each and every day. And so therefore Jesus is now today, even now, calling you to surrender your life to Him. Revelation 3, 19 and 20. Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be jealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If you don't have that as a reality in your life, yes, we go through very difficult times, but if you say never, God has never been there for me, and God is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to himself even now. Because if you have asked Jesus into your life, and if you have been truly saved, your your testimony will be one that says, yes, I have. I have had that. I have experienced God's love. He has opened the door for me. He has, he has given me the uh, hope to lift up my eyes to see that my redemption draws nigh and that He is with me and He's never going to leave me nor forsake me, even though I've been through some hard times. Now, if you say, well, it's been a long time, because sometimes our seasons of doubt and fear can go on for a long time, a very long time, much longer than we would desire. You know, we think of this COVID thing and all that's going on with it and everybody's tired of talking about it and everybody wants it to end i think <clears throat> but if you say it's been a long time since god's been speaking to me he hasn't been speaking to me i haven't heard his voice i haven't heard that still small voice i don't have the hope that he's given that you're talking about pastor john then god's speaking to you right now and he would say to you through matthew 11 28 and 29, Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now he doesn't say life is easy and life has no burdens. He says, no, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What I want to put on to you will enable you to walk with hope and I will help you. That's what he does. And the whole reason is because he is risen. We see it in this verse here of Mark. Because what they saw at the end of verse 5, it says, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in, long white, in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. The night before they saw Jesus has broken, bloodied, maybe cleaned up a little body, placed in that tomb. They remembered him on the cross. And now they come, and here's this young man. A young man, a Greek word for a trained servant, if you will. Clothed in a long white robe, which is a loose outer garment that extended all the way to his feet. And there he is, sitting at the right side. And notice, of course, just like you and I would be, they were alarmed. To be alarmed is to be moved to a relatively intense emotional state because of something causing great surprise or perplexity. <laughs> that's, that's the dictionary. But a simple way is to say they're very excited. Why? Well, obviously, because of two things, really. What this angel of the Lord did, we know from Matthew 28, 2, when he came, it says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Remember, we talked about an earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and then he sat on it. And what did he look like? Matthew 28, 3. Well, his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. Again, every time we see when you and I, when humans encounter God's heavenly messengers, God's heavenly angels, you're face down in fear. You're face down in fear. God's revelation can sometimes, when when we talk about, when we go into the book of Daniel, we're going to see that when Daniel received uh, visions and, and dreams from the Lord, he was often sick for many days afterwards. He was sick physically because of the experience. And so here they were in the presence of God's holy angel. And there are actually two. They were God's messengers. Right before their eyes had been manifested, there would be no mistake whatsoever. This was real. And also real terrifying for them. And so on verse 6, you always see it. He said to them, Do not be alarmed, do not be struck with terror. You seek, in other words, He knows what they're coming for. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Now, why did the angel refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth? Well, if nothing else, they were in the right tomb. You know, he was letting them know you came to the right place. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth—that's who you're looking for, because he's God's heavenly messenger and he knows what you're, you know, what's going on. But also, the angel referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, this was a mocking derision. So he wanted to make sure that this is the one that they knew that this was actually the one. Um, named Jesus, this was truly God. We remember Pilate wrote in John 19:19, 19, 19, "Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews." So there would be no mistake. There would be no room for a conspiracy or a lie or a twisted, you know, alternate story that could be proven, that could be backed up. No, these ladies saw it. They heard it with their own eyes from this angel. And they said, You're in the right place. This is, this is what you were looking for, Jesus of Nazareth, and he was crucified. Declaring the reality of Jesus' death on the cross. But his, his final words to that, in that, he says, But he is risen. He is not here. You know, every Sunday on uh, Easter Sunday, we say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. To be aroused from the sleep of death, he is being raised. And he says, he's not here. I mean, I know who you're looking for. It was Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Now he's risen to life. And then therefore, look look at the place where he has been laid. Look where they had put him. So you have the physical evidence to confirm the claim that Jesus Had been resurrected. And in the coming hours, many more would see Jesus. And over the next 40 days, over 500 people would witness Jesus with their own eyes, the living God. So, you know, we live in a world where people are still trying to tell you that that's a big phony story. They're still trying to make pretend. But there isn't a credible historian in any saved or unsaved, even atheist, that could deny the fact that Jesus was resurrected. People say things, but they can't back them up. We see that all the time, don't we? <laughs> so when people challenge you about your faith, politely ask them how they came to that conclusion. Politely ask those who will challenge the, you know, the Bibles whether it's real or not, whether this Christian is a big fish, fiction story or not. Challenge them as well in a polite way, and ask people, "Well, how did you come to that conclusion? What's your source of information?" Because when you, what you'll find is the source is very um, narrow. You know they'll, ta- they'll mention some uh, scholar out at North Carolina State you know, uh, who's written many books. Bart Ehrman is his name. He's in our state. And he's a, he's a very intelligent atheist. And so if you go to YouTube and you watch Bart Ehrman, um, he, he's a professor who's, who talks like a preacher because he was a Christian. And so he's very much against Christianity, and he goes to great lengths to try and falsify the claims of the gospel. So anyway, here they were. They're leaving the tomb. Jesus has been raised. And they've got the physical evidence that Jesus has been raised. And so finally, they're parting words from this angel. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So he's given them their marching orders. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. This was Jesus' message. Now imagine the Lord coming to life. You know, we don't know. The, but the scriptures do not tell us what it was like when Jesus' body was resurrected. You know, we sang that song this morning about his, his body, you know, began to breathe. We know that it had to happen. But we don't know. The scriptures are silent. In fact, the story is kind of remarkable because it's like it's after the fact it's being told. It's like this happened. We don't even need to tell you what happened during the time that his body came to life because it's a, it's a true fact. It's a moot point at this point. But you can imagine that the Lord's coming to life in the presence of those angels. You know, Here you have the angels ministering to him. Again, it is resurrection. And then giving him the message. He's telling the angels, here's what I want you to tell them. Here's my message. I want you to go tell the disciples And especially, I want you to tell Peter. Oh, how the Lord wanted Peter, especially, to be encouraged despite having denied him three times. Folks, this is very encouraging. This is very encouraging to see that the Lord had an eye for Peter. Peter had denied him three times. And the Lord has an eye for you and I. You say, I've gone too far, I've taken my life too far. I've gone too far to the right or I've gone too far to the left for God to reach me. But that's not true because as long as you have breath and you can hear his voice and he speaks to your heart, you can be saved and you can be encouraged as Peter was. And then, of course, the message was go tell, tell Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. He's reminding them of his promise and he's he's telling them Look, you're going to see him as he said. And if you don't, you know, by now, if they've seen a dead body being resurrected, he's been taken away, this great tomb's been rolled away, all the miracles that they saw, you, think they would, you would think that they certainly would believe. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. But at this moment, they certainly did believe. Because we, if nothing else, we can say seeing is believing. We hear a lot of things, but seeing is believing. He never forgets his promises. And so finally in verse 8, they went out quickly and fled the tomb. Why did they run away? I mean, what, you know, here's this amazing story. What are they doing? Why are they fleeing? What well, it says, because they trembled and they were amazed. You know how sometimes when you get, you know, crazy, earth shattering news in your life, you just got to sit down and, t- you know, whatever you're going to do, you have to process that. You're like, wait a minute, I, this just happened. Whatever news you may have got, whether it's good news or bad news, you, know, you may have to say, could you repeat that, please? I mean, it has to sink in. And so they trembled. In other words, this, this knowledge actually had a hold of their mind. They're like, whoa, amazed, ecstasis. It's a state of mind blended with fear and wonder. Fear and wonder all kind of blended in. And they said nothing to anyone. Why? Because they were still processing. Now, you know, here, a skeptic will take this line right here, folks, and say, see, they didn't even bother to go tell that great news. Think about it. They were still processing it. They wanted to make sure. As I said, we need to let these things sink in sometimes. And they were also afraid. They were struck with fear. Now when you read Matthew 28.8, he adds a a little bit more information. He says, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring his disciples' word. So they were just going to exactly straight to what the angels had told them. They were going to listen to this messenger of God, and they were going to tell and do what they were told. And that always brings it back to us, doesn't it? Will you, will you go? Will you tell others? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a uh, famous uh, preacher from the 60s and 70s, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was given a message on a, one Easter to his congregation. And he said these words. He said, this morning as I look over this evil, sinful world, it does not depress me because I expect from it nothing better. Whatever may be going on against me, whatever may be happening in my own body, this is what I must expect because of sin. But though I die, I shall rise again. I shall see him face to face. I shall see him as he is, and I shall be like him. Like him in body glorified, with every power renewed. And I shall be living in a realm that is incorruptible and undefiled. A realm that can never fade away. He goes on. He says, that's the living hope of the resurrection. That is the message of this Easter morning and every morning. And that hope is absolutely safe and secure. The resurrection itself guarantees it all. Every enemy has been destroyed Christ has conquered them every single one. So you might ask the question, you know, what, what about us? You know, here we are today, 2021. Can't believe it's almost, almost October. You know, if the women could overcome their internal doubts and their fears and tell the incredible the, the disciples about the resurrection, if they could do that, Why can't we tell our skeptical friends and relatives, you know, holiday season's coming, you're going to be sitting at that dinner table with your, many of you will be sitting there with your unsaved relatives or friends. And you're going to think, maybe how long is it going to take before the subject of politics or religion comes up? And how am I going to deal with it? (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about. And if the first century Christians in Rome could conquer their reasonable fear of persecution, can't we get over our own hesitations, writes one writer, our own discomfort and fears to go and tell others, even total strangers about the good news of the resurrection? You may have heard the story of the little girl who kneels at her bed beside her father to say a scripted bedtime prayer. In a squeaky voice, she says, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my lo- uh, the Lord my soul to keep. If I should wake before I die. And her eyes prop open, and she has a look of embarrassment on her face. And she says, Oh, Daddy, I messed it up. <laughs> but her dad uh, puts his arm around her, and he says, No, you're right, honey. We all need to awake before we die. And we can't ever forget this, folks. We can't ever forget the fact that the bad news has been answered by the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So we're going to get ready to take communion this morning. Again, God gave us that wonderful, this wonderful um, ordinance as another reminder for us. See, we want to be reminded of the resurrection. We want to be reminded of Jesus' great sacrifice on our behalf. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for our time here today and time in your word. And Lord, I pray that as we prepare to take these communion elements that you would give us a moment to pause. Just give us a moment right now, Lord, to think about where we stand with you. And Lord, if you're speaking to us, that we might do what you've called us to do. Maybe make a note to call a loved one or a friend and make things right in that relationship or maybe just simply to write down in our hearts, Lord, and write down as a reminder that, Lord, I just want to start spending more time with you. I've been so busy. I've been, I've been about my own business, but I haven't been about your work. I haven't been about my father's business and so Lord I just want to get back to where I belong with you I just want to get back to where I long to get up even early in the morning just to spend time with you. I long to receive fullness and joy and peace in my heart that would instead of taking in social media or conventional media the things that crowd you out for my life. Lord, I just want to start over again. Help me, help us, Lord, to draw near to you once again with this great hope that you've given us. And Lord, we have the honor of actually celebrating celebrating the fact that you died for us. Celebrating the fact that you made a new covenant That our sins have been washed away by your blood. And the price has been paid at the cross. And the promise is sure and strong as it ever was. It's never changed, Lord. You never change. Your promises remain. And oftentimes we just simply need to remember. Just to be reminded. So thank you, Lord, for our time together today. Go before us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. As Pastor John leads through this song, I invite you guys to come on up, take communion, and then return to your seats, and we'll all take it together.
0: It is and is to come With all creation as
1: verses 22 through 26 we read that as they were eating Jesus took bread he blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said take, eat this is my body then he took the cup When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So here was another promise that the Lord had given to them. And even in their grief and misery, as we read about today, they were overcome. But we've been given a promise from God. We've been given the whole end of the story. We've been given so much more than they had to work with. And so let us not forsake the fact that we here. We said 2,000 years later, and uh, we think of all the things that can oppress us, the thing, all the things we can take for granted, all the things we get worried about. But really, when it comes down to it, God is a God of promises, and He keeps His promises. Amen? So, Lord, we just ask that You go before us now. We thank You for our time together today. Lord, we ask that You would just guide us, guide our footsteps as we head home, Lord. That you would be in the things that we do, not a, simply an afterthought of the things that we do. We just want to follow your lead, Lord, each day, one day, one breath at a time. Go before us now as we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse,
0: line by line. God bless.